Hi, I'm Philip Coppens, the author of the Ancient Alien Question and a regular at Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. And I'm the next guest at On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome. It is that time once again. It's time for another episode of On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the TV, movie, or music industry. This is episode 206 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. And this week, we got a great show coming up. I'm so excited about this one. Last week, we had Uncle Rico here, of course, from Napoleon Dynamite. We had uh, John Grise here. And the week before that, we had George Kennedy. So we've had some fantastic guests. And this week, we take into the realm of ancient aliens. That's right. The hit TV show from the History Channel. The only thing I'm a little disappointed is they moved... From the History Channel to the History of Channel 2. And I don't have that, so I can't see it. But uh, anyways, uh, I like that show a lot. Ancient Aliens. And one of the contributors, one of the guys on the show, is Philip Coppins. All right? Now, Philip is going to be joining us this week on On Screen and Beyond. He's going to be talking about uh, ancient aliens and talking about the different sites around the world where they think they have evidence and everything. So it's going to be a real interesting show, and I hope you're going to stick around for that because that's coming up in a few minutes. We also are going to be talking about uh, April releases coming out in theaters and on DVD, and it's all coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. So uh, what do you say we get right into it? Next, remakes coming your way in April in theaters right here on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness. Remakes coming your way in April in theaters. Well, it looks like uh, Titanic 3D gets polished off. Not really a remake, but uh, it's a uh, a re-release in 3D on April 4th. And the Farley Brothers remake The Three Stooges coming your way on April 13th. That's it for Remake Madness coming your way in April. It's uh, upcoming movies next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies coming your way in April in theaters. It's The Cabin in the Woods as it hits theaters on April 13th. Sylvester Stallone slams his way into theaters on April 13th also with Bullet to the Head. It's about a teaming of a cop and a hitman. And Brian Presley goes back in time to relive his glory days in high school football in Touchback with Kurt Russell. And that's also on April 13th. And Steve Harvey's Think Like a Man arrives on April 20th. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming away in April? As far as sequels, we got it. Sequel City's next on On Screen and Beyond. Sequels coming your way in April in theaters. Well, American Reunion brings back the crew from American Pie for another outing of madness. And The Raven with John Cusack tells the story of Edgar Allan Poe. And that's coming your way on April 27th. April 27th also brings us Emily Blunt and Jason Siegel as a star in the five-year engagement. And the animated The Pirate's Band of Misfits splashes its way into theaters on April 27th with the voices of Hugh Grant and Jeremy Piven. 
That is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on Oscar and Beyond, what's coming away as far as TV on DVD in April? We got it next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. TV on DVD coming your way in April. Well, April 3rd, you can get Benson Season 2 and Danny Phantom Season 2 Part 1 and Designing Women Season 6. April 10th, Season 7 of Adam 12 comes your way, along with Car 54, Where Are You, Season 7, Gene Autry Show, Season 3 and Season 4, Laverne and Shirley, Season 5, Logan's Run, the complete series, uh, Night Gallery, Season 3, and One Tree Hill, Season 9, and Snapped, Season 4. April 17th brings us American Dad, Volume 7, and Eight is Enough, Season 1, and Ernie Kovacs, ABC Specials. April 27th, look for Route 66, the complete series. And on April 24th, The Wild Thornberries, Season 2, Part 2, comes your way. That's it for TV on DVD coming your way in April. Next, Movies on DVD coming your way in April. Movies on DVD coming your way in April. Well, April 3rd, Nicole Kidman for Film Collection comes your way along with Renee Zellweger's for Film Collection and War Horse along with We Bought a Zoo. April 10th, The Darkest Hour hits uh, DVD and The Iron Lady with Meryl Streep. April 17th, it's Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol with Tom Cruise and Shame also comes your way. April 24th, Contraband with Mark Wahlberg hits stores. That is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we have a fascinating guest. If you are a fan of the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, or if you haven't watched it but you're interested in that stuff, we have got a guest for you. Philip Coppins is going to be joining us, and uh, Philip is one of the... uh, People who are on the show, he's a contributor, he's an investigative reporter, and he uh, just has so much information about the Crystal Skulls and uh, uh, Machu Picchu, and uh, just it, it just goes on, the pyramids and everything else. Uh, Chichen Itza, recently I had a chance during my vacation, I went to Mexico and I saw uh, the Chichen Itza pyramids and everything. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, if you ever get a chance, be sure to check that out. Uh, but Philip's going to talk about the Bosnian pyramids. He's going to talk about uh, uh, Darren Koyu, uh, uh, just all sorts of stuff. It's just amazing what we're going to be talking about. And it's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is an investigative journalist and author who appears on the History Channel's hit show, Ancient Aliens. He has written many books, and his latest is The Ancient Alien Question, A New Inquiry into Existence, Evidence, and Influence of Ancient Visitors. It's Philip Coppins. Philip, thank you for joining us here on On Screen and Beyond. It's my pleasure, Brian. Philip, 
your book, The Ancient Alien Question, did you decide to write that because of the popularity of the TV show, or is this something you've had in the works for a while? I uh, know it, it definitely came about because of, of the television show. Obviously, I've had an interest, and I have been writing about the subject for many years, in fact, for almost 20. But this book really came about because of the television series, because the television series, as so many episodes of so many series go, presents a rather what I would call flat uh, landscape, in the sense that each subject is dealt, you know, 7, 15, 30, whatever amount of minutes there is mm-hmm. regulated by commercials. And each one of them is, is quite often given the same way, at least in the eyes of the viewers. And also, um, television is a visual medium, so sometimes there are topics which are great, but if you can't get the footage of, uh, you know, the video footage, you really cannot bring it on television. So um, I wanted to go beyond that flatness and that limit to to visuals and and really provide some depth and also you know ancient aliens isn't my show it's uh, four to five regulars who are appearing throughout the season but each one of us even though quite often people ask like you know, like do you all subscribe to the same notion and the answer is no um, that there's quite a that there's quite a, a, a wide diversity of opinions and so I always wanted to give my perspective and 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 basically um, also illustrate as to, to what my points are. So, Ancient Alien Question is, is diverse in that sense. It gives depth, it discusses things which haven't been discussed in the show, um, and, and it is written for a, a large audience, because I also felt that what was needed was a book which is there for the viewers. There are a number of books, sometimes of people who feature on the show, who are theories or are very bespoke on one subject area, whether they are the Inca Civilization, the Great Pyramid, anything like that. But there is really no book which provides an overview of all of these things and, and provides that kind of depth. So, so it is written for um, both you know, the, the person who, who knows an awful lot about this already and the complete novice. Mm-hmm. Well, and what do you think is the reason that people are so enthralled with it? I mean, this this TV show is watched by millions of people. At the end of each episode, um, which goes across the world in, in various translations, um, about 100 million viewers per episode wow. is, is the estimate. Because in, in this day and age, with TV and all of that stuff, it's really hard to, to find out. And also on YouTube, people mm-hmm. uh, can watch these things. Now. So it is, it's, it's hard to guess, but about 100 million people is, is, is the guess. And, you know, it's interesting to, to see that, that there is so much interest there, and it's from a very broad range. Some of them are in their 90s, and some of them are as young as 5 and 6. Um, and, it, and it's great to hear, um, you know, you know f- f- from each and all. And I think Part of the reason why the show is popular is because of its format. Television, for a long period of time, thought that people were watching television and wanted to be purely entertained and wanted to have this tit-for-tat. Side A says, this side B is going to destroy it, the battle of the sides. Um, And so when it comes to these kind of subjects, you quite often have what is quite often labeled, you know, the believers versus the skeptics. Or sometimes it's about the journeying of, like, how did you come across this? And, and Ancient Aliens is not like that. Ancient Aliens basically goes back to the television of the 1980s and the early 1990s and just puts things out there and says to the viewer, um, you know, you are 
um, intellectual enough to draw your own conclusions. This is basically what we give you. And so people tune into Ancient Aliens knowing that they're not going to get um, you know, this, this standoff between side A versus stand B. Uh, and, and also this other notion, which is that with the journeying aspect, you never know what you're going to find. You, you, in those kind of scenarios, you just see a guy going in search of something uh, with no proof or, or confirmation that at the end of an hour, uh, that person is going to find something. And so um, abandoning those two television formats and going back to, to a format which was popular in the 80s and 90s, uh, I think is another uh, success factor of, of Ancient Aliens as a television show. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I like about your book and also in the TV show, you yourself don't necessarily agree with every theory that's out there. Uh, some people do that. They just say everything is here and that's why the, that, uh, the theories are there. But you disprove some. Yes, um, because, you know, I, I, I'm known as a voice of reason, and I think the, the back cover of my book says that he's, he's called a skeptic by the believers and a believer by the skeptics. Uh, and I do occupy that, that middle ground. Um, and, you know, it is a fact that, that in 1968, when, when Eric proposed certain things as a question, uh, because there was simply not enough evidence available to, to go beyond the question mark, um, that some of the questions he asked, um, has not been answered as as being uh, of of ancient alien origins. Now that doesn't mean von Däniken has been, uh, you know, debunked as some skeptics would say. It merely means that he asked the question. Some people went in search of an answer and found that that answer didn't involve um, an ancient alien uh, as, as as being part of the answer. But when we take like an Nazca line, for example, um, you know, he he posited that these lines had to be seen from above, and what archaeologists have since found is, is clear evidence that these lines were indeed meant to be seen from above. And even um, technology in the case of hot air balloons and um, kites, uh, gliders used by, by men, um, which were deployed so that these could be seen from above. So really, um, you know, we're really getting to to the core of, of something which is far more far more interesting sometimes than just an alien intervention theory. We're beginning to, to realize that our ancestors were far more technologically advanced as we quite often give them credit for. And this has always been part of, of Eric's remit as well. He basically said history is wrong. And there are two solutions here. One, our ancestors are more technologically advanced than, than we are, than, than we give them credit for. Uh, and the second scenario is, okay, they were stupid, and so somebody else was helping them out. And I really think it's, uh, you know, uh, an end universe. I really think when you look at the big picture of, of our human history, uh, you know, you, you see both trends. Before we we got on the air, I mentioned to you that I have a list of, <laughs> of a mile long of things we could talk about. And uh, people, when they knew you we were going to be on the show, we got emails from people asking, you know, if you could ask this question and things like that. But uh, before we get into some, some specific things, could you let us know about how you became an investigative journalist looking into this matter? Well, uh, I was interested in politics. I was very much into just the political mindset. And then it was coming up to Oliver Stone's JFK movie, and all of a sudden um, the area of you know where I was working into uh, that, that kind of nebulous ground as to how intelligence agencies influence politics, uh, which became also popular because of obviously the first Gulf War at that time, um, kind of got injected with a, a very big claim from 
somebody called Bill Cooper, and he basically said that Kennedy was assassinated um, because of the fact that he was going to spill the beans on the fact that the U.S. government had uh, UFOs in, in secret storage. Now, I, you know, I, I obviously had heard about UFOs, but I had never really paid any attention to that. And so I began to investigate, and the claims of, of Bill Cooper turned out to be erroneous, and he himself later admitted that he um, had been fooled. Uh, other people would say that he invented it, but we'll leave that in the middle. And um, shortly afterwards, I was asked by a publishing company to to basically stop being an investigative journalist, but, but pretty much to, to help them promote some of their books abroad. And two of these books um, were, were very much inside the arena of, of mysteries. One of them dealt with uh, a discovery which had been made as part of a Randall Chateau mystery, which would later become obviously famous because of the Vinci Code. And uh, the other one had to do with the megalithic civilization in France. And that civilization was linked um, with the mythical civilization of Atlantis. And so I began to, to investigate those areas and you know, began to, to find out the lay of the land as to what was what. And it is how I became uh, familiar with Eric from that and I can also his work. Um, I spoke at a number of his conferences and Pretty much since since 1993, um, I have been very much involved um, with this arena. And what I wanted to bring to the arena was, you know, a, a voice of reason. I I felt that an awful lot of what was happening in this field deserved the attention of the big world out there. But quite often, in the way they were worded, or the fact that some of these um, uh, things which were going around were very much opinions. Uh, or theories, but they were so bespoke and so specific that really, for you know, even publication in, in a newspaper, it really was outside of the reach of most journalists to to condense or uh, extract what would be for uh, a general interest area in some of these stories. So I, I began to do those kind of things, and and also felt that some of the stories which were there, you know, really. Um, had to be added to a larger audience, and so I set up uh, a magazine in the Netherlands. I wrote articles for uh, magazines like Nexus and, and, and later various other magazines, and, and that is really what I, I have been doing. I have sort of become uh, the investigative journalist of the alternative, reporting to the wider world as to what is happening in the fields of alternative science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've always been amazed by the pyramids and Machu Picchu and all that stuff. Do you travel to most of these places that you talk about in your book? Yes, um, I have. I have definitely traveled to all the places I have had to travel yeah. um, on a number of occasions. You know, a story like the stone discs of Bayankarula really isn't um, isn't placed in the sense of of, of time. Of, in a, like you know, there's nothing to visit. Um, it is a it is a story which is largely in the books, and you have to um, retrace it. But when it comes to to me talking about Chichen Itza or anything else, yes, I I have always been there, and on a number of occasions, repeatedly. Um, you know, I have been uh, three times to to things like the Bosnian pyramids, which don't feature in this book, uh, but will feature in in a subsequent one, uh, and, and likely also in, in in season four of Ancient Aliens. So wherever there is a real urge or a real need rather to to write about the places and, and, and a need to visit them, I, I will always have been there. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, of all the places you've traveled and, and reported on, what is the most implicating evidence that you have found about ancient aliens? 
Um, you know, it's it's very hard to to identify uh, one, um, and and to to some extent, it is it is the whole um, that that is the most convincing. Um, some people will say you know, that it is Pumpunku, uh, which is a site on the Bolivian Altiplano, which is part of the Tijuanaco complex. But um, that is definitely the case. But I always think we need to look at it in context. And so when you look at Peru, brilliant civilization, beautiful country, uh, pyramids in the north, the Nazca lines just south of Lima. And then you have the sacred valley with things like Cusco, Machu Picchu, um, Ola Tentambo, and then you know just across the border um, with Bolivia, the complex of Tijuanaco. When you start looking into those archaeological sites, the question then is which one of these stand out? Which one of those is linked with um, evidence of technology that something is far bigger going on than just a, a human advanced civilization? And the answer is always, obviously, Tijuanaco and Wittgumapunku, Cusco, or Antetambo. Um, and then when you start looking at it, into the mythology of the Inca, what they're saying is that the, the deity Viracocha appeared um, on Earth around Lake Titicaca, and after a sojourn there, began to descend into the Sacred Valley, taking in such sites um, as Cusco and um, Olaytantambo, where his face is actually seen in uh, a, a rock facade overlooking the, the, the temple complex of Olaytantambo. And this overlapping of mythology with archaeology, to me, is, is amongst the best evidence to say that something truly extraordinary was going on. We're not just identifying anomalies in, in archaeology and saying, oh, this is, uh, you know, of potentially the um, contact in the past. What we are identifying is, is this multi-layering of the fact that archaeology is basically revealing and showing what our ancestors were talking about in Danatology. And this happens in an awful lot of places. This happens in Egypt to some extent, uh, but specifically in the New World, in places like Mexico with the Mayan civilization uh, and the Inca civilization in Peru. It does this come really to the forefront. And, uh, again, it is this this harmony, this, this walking hand-in-hand hand of, of several sciences, anthropology, folklore, um, and archaeology, that in my opinion is, is really amongst the best evidence that we were not alone. Mm -hmm. What I'd like to do is give you a few different places and you give us your ideas about the site themselves and also about the ancient alien factor in it. And I know they're all sort of connected together. Uh, some of them may be in your book, some may not be. But um, I'm sure I've heard you talk about several of these, so I'm sure you'll be able to give us some insight on them. And you've already mentioned Pumapunku. I am amazed when I see those H blocks, the way that they're cut, how could they ever have done that? Absolutely. In the case of Pumapunku, it's clear that you know, technology was used here. And um, it is such a, a mystery. It is such a, a riddle that, that really, you know, you, you can't explain it. And I'm beginning to actually come up with like a, uh, a new theory, uh, and it might forever remain a theory, um, as to what Pumapunku might really have been about and what specifically um, what the surrounding complexes were all about. Um, but it, it definitely is an anomaly. And, and some of the things which were done there really defy all forms of logic, like, you know, a stone block where on one side an opening begins as a, as a five-sided opening, and then somehow 
inside the block going at an angle of 90 degrees, it comes out as a, a, a six-sided block. Why would anybody want to go from a five-sided opening on one side to a six-sided opening on another? Mm. It, it defies even our modern machinery or our modern needs. And then, of course, some of the other um, you know, uh, marks which have been made in some of these stones clearly show that what's been happening here involves technology. Again, in, in itself, you know, it, it could be that there was a, a genius who not only invented maybe electricity or some other form of technology thousands of years ago and did this, and, and for sure that that's, you know, a possibility. But when you place it in the context of, of the fact that there is mythology which suggests that this was the work of gods, of, of, of you know, who appeared out of, out of nowhere, um, it, it clearly shows that whoever did this, uh, that it wasn't an accident of history, but part of a larger whole, uh, and that larger whole being uh, non- non-human intelligence is contacting our ancestors. Yeah. Well, those H, like I say, those H blocks, the way they interlock into each other, and they're so perfect, they're, it's like an architect designed it, and uh, some factory, you know, cut them out so they would be interlocking just so perfectly. It's just amazing. Absolutely, it's 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 you know, it's amazing to see, and when you are in, in places like Cusco or Sacsayhuaman nearby, you you see them in all their force. You see this 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 gigantic scope of these things, and also that really you need a computer program to 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 design all of these things. Yet somehow, you know, we are led to believe that this was the work of of, of city people, and. The fact is that it is not only an extraordinary piece of, of work um, as such, but also that there was a clear purpose to it because the way they were designed um, resulted in the fact that these blocks were pretty much resistant to earthquakes, and earthquakes in that region are, are not necessarily daily occurrence, but definitely uh, a regular occurrence. And so the way these were designed was with uh, high technological considerations for the fact that um, whatever was built on top would be earthquake resistant. And um, I think that that what we're seeing today um, in a number of places like Sexy Huaman is, is merely the foundation of something which uh, once had a top structure which has disappeared. And if that is the case, um, then it is clear that what we're talking about is a civilization which really predates the Inca uh, maybe by you know, thousands of years, um, or if it's not that old, that whatever was standing there um, was taken away or degraded to, to an extent uh, far quicker than any rock or uh, cement or that kind of stone structure uh, would be degradable. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about Peru's Gate of the Gods. Now, just so our listeners know what that is, that's a gate, uh, a doorway-shaped uh, carving in a rock near Lake Titicaca. Am I correct? That is correct. I mean, it, it is, you know, visually beautiful. Um, technologically, it's quite simple, but this is linked with this gateway into uh, another dimension, that somehow this is the place where the gods came to uh, and were also able to, to disappear from this uh, reality to, to theirs. So it is a very interesting site, and I think, um, you know, we quite often tend to interpret this as if uh, the Gate of the Gods was somehow linked with a type of uh, technology which is, is, is very mundane in the sense that, you know, rocket technology, propulsion technology, right. uh, and all of that stuff. But I think that what we're lacking um, from our ancestors and from the ancient aliens 
is an understanding that the laws of physics, the way we see them, that we haven't really um, explained or, or understood uh, all of them. And there are a number of occasions, whether it's Nikola Tesla or the likes of Edward Lee Scallon, who built Coral Castle in, in Homestead, Florida, uh, that we begin to realize that really we don't fully understand uh, the tools and techniques which we are daily using. Tesla clearly was a genius, and, and he was able to do things with electricity on a scale which, whereby he literally said that you know, he could split the earth, the earth into two. Now, that is some kind of technology which he apparently was able to, to develop quite simply. Um, and, and the reason why he was able to do so was because, in his opinion, he was using um, not necessarily technology but applied understanding um, of, of the laws of, of physics. And again, um, you know, I think uh, our ancestors and, and the non-human intelligences as well understood these in far more complexity that, that we can. And so things like the gate of the sun, um, I think what we're, when we are confronted there and, and say, oh, this is a stargate to the gods, um, you know, we, we're not going to, we shouldn't be digging there uh, or there's nothing missing from there. Uh, it is just, I think, a site uh, in a specific location whereby some kind of, uh, you know, for want of a better word, other dimensional or interdimensional travel uh, could be established. And these non-human intelligences, known as Hirokocha uh, and, and some of its pals, seem to know, understand, and be able to apply that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh, Turkey's, now I'm going to hope I say this right, Darren Kuyu? Um, it's an interesting site, which I haven't visited, so I don't really know too much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Turkey is, you know, uh, Turkey is one of those gems which which everybody really um, has has only recently begun to focus about. We all know about uh, Gobekli Tepe, which is 12,000 years old. There are other sites around there. Uh, it's, it's a site, you know, dating back thousands of years, and... And each one of these are being uh, discovered. I think the the problem um, with most of the well, it's not a problem; it's a literary problem. With most of the sites in in Turkey, is that what we are uncovering is that there is a civilization in this area which is thousands of years older than anything else. Mm, yeah. uh, but at this moment in time, there is no real sign of of an alien intervention, if that makes sense. What we see is is extraordinary monuments built by our ancestors, um, pushing back our uh, you know, the dawn of civilization thousands of years back. You know, gone are the days when we thought the Greeks were the ones who had civilization as as, as the first people. We're, we're really pushing it back to ten thousand, and, and more than likely, it's even older than that. When you look at some of the um, out of place artifacts or upats, as they're sometimes called across the world, world, but world, but as a as a whole, as a as a region, Turkey definitely rises to prominence, and there are several sites in that area or in that country which really, um, you know, are are telling us that civilization here began twelve thousand years ago, and it's of course of interest that this is also the region. Um, where the Bible says civilization began in the form of, of Noah and Mount Ararat. Now, was Gobekli Tepe the one that, that people have been found, those skeletons, and the, the sand has been made, you know, like glass? Is that, is that the site? Uh, no, Gobekli Tepe is, is basically a, a temple site okay. where people have been doing excavations um, and, and really have found that you know, there is a, a temple there or a complex of temples there, which is dating back 12,000 uh, years old. The, the glass sites, there are a number of glass sites. So uh, one of them is in the Sinai Desert, 
um, but it's it's not Quebec Tepe. Oh, okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, what about the, a more recent thing that's been found, uh, the Bosnian pyramids? Any ideas on that one? Absolutely. I've been you know, following the Bosnian pyramid story since 2006. I attended the first uh, Bosnian pyramid international uh, scientific conference in, in 2008. I will be one, uh, back in Bosnia in September to speak at a conference there again. Um, it, it's, you know, it, the, the sites... Bosnian pyramid complex just outside of Sarajevo is definitely man-made. Aspects of it, um, you know, um, are on certain aspects of it, the jewelry is still out, but definitely things like the Pyramid of the Sun uh, is a man-made structure. The, the tunnel complex which runs under it is, is man-made. The approach, which is something, the approachway to the Pyramid of the Sun, which is something very few people get to see because it is on, on land which isn't quite often visited. But when excavations were done there in 2006, it revealed remarkable blocks. Um, other temple complexes in the surrounding area are also clearly showing that they were placed there with um, intervisibility to things like the Pyramid of the Sun as, as being a prime reason as to why the temple complex was, was placed there. But it is a, it's an extraordinarily large site. We're talking here about a site which, you know, is, is, is probably bigger than than New York City. Wow. Um, and you also have a, a village at the at the base of of um, the, the pyramid, so you can't really dig anywhere. And part of of the archaeological work is, is really to listen to the locals who have been digging cellars and and kind of you know logging what what they found when they were doing their their work, but it's also a phenomenal site because you really can feel what it was like to be an archaeologist at the time. So, when the pyramids of Egypt or the pyramids of of, right. of, of Mexico were unveiled, you can walk there uh, amongst them. And that's uh, you know an awful lot of criticism has been levied against the project, but this is by and large from people who. Um, were excluded from the project simply because, you know, guess what? Not everybody can involve, can be, not everybody can be involved in, in any, in every project. Uh, not every archaeologist is working on the pyramid of, of, of Egypt and not every archaeologist is working on Stonehenge. And on a number of occasions, that means that there are sour grapes. Um, and, you know, those people sometimes will, will, will go on the internet and, and, and spout their vile, and that sometimes gets picked up by the media, and, and so controversy is created. There's nothing new there, um, and it's it's you know, the way these things go. And, and unfortunately, uh, in the case of of the Bosnian pyramid, uh, originally that 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 was very much the case. But now I think people are beginning to realize that you know, there's definitely something there. Uh, the, the the first official conference, which was held in 2008, helped support that. And in 2010, it actually was the largest. Uh, archaeological excavation uh, in the world at one point. So uh, it's, it's, it's coming along slowly, uh, but because it is so big, 
uh, because the area is so vast, uh, it'll take time. And, you know, we just need to give uh, the entire team there the time to to put shovels in the ground and unearth the complex. Yeah. Well, what, what amazes me is that the people, um, you know, the skeptics are saying, well, no, nah, it's nothing. It's uh, They're just trying to build up tourism. Uh, the guy who found it was not a, uh, a legitimate scientist and all this. But they've actually found... Uh, pathways and blocks and I mean so obviously something man-made is there whether or not it's a pyramid uh, you know I mean it, it looks like a pyramid but uh, so obviously there's something under the ground and they're finding it so how I don't understand how they can say that it there's nothing to it because obviously there is well you know it, it's it's easy to make claim I can say one here on the radio you're a Martian Brian right uh, you know simply the fact that I've said it doesn't mean there's any validity to it right. um, but if it is said from from somebody uh, who you know, has has some standing um, then people will take it and again uh, people like controversy um, you know it's it's the old media paradigm of, of, of creating controversy or feeling that you have to report on the controversy um, you know Sam Sam is not a qualified archaeologist, but Sam is a qualified business leader who has spent more than $1 million of his own money in the excavation of this. He has relocated uh, from Houston, Texas, back to, to Sarajevo to, to personally supervise this. Um, you know, since he he had a Ph.D. in economics, he had a Ph.D. Uh, in something else, which I believe was politics. Um, and since he has had a Ph.D., um, in, 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 in history, uh, is not archaeology as well. So, uh, Sam is a person who, you know, has three PhDs, um, and, and he's not the one putting the, the shovel in the ground. For that, he has paid and hired, um, proper standing archaeologists. Um, when in 2008 he held the international conference, there were 25 of the leading Egyptologists, um, of, of our times including the Dean of uh, Archaeology of Ogodane Shams and Cairo University, the current Ministry of, of, of uh, Antiquities in, in Egypt, uh, Professor Mohammed uh, Ibrahim Ali was one of the people who attended there. So, you know, the top people were there. Uh, he invited some of the skeptics, like uh, Professor Anthony Harding, who simply refused to come. Um, Anthony Harding has also said that if there are, um, you know, um, any of any archaeologists of his organization who are helping there, he will personally make sure that they um, have no digging rights anywhere else uh, when they return. So what happens is that um, you know the, the the people who are, are working there are largely non-Western uh, European archaeologists, and so I know what Harding is then saying. Well, you see, you know, there's not a single Western European archaeologist doing somehow. You know casting doubt as to the validity um, of, of what is happening there. And, and really, specifically in Europe, uh, there, this, this stance has been created that somehow if the British archaeologists aren't involved, then it's not worthy um, you know, scientific consideration. And it is very much uh, an old colonial imperialistic attitude which they're trying to uh, you know, put on, on the Bosnian pyramid complex. And um, it worked for a little period of time, but now it is definitely... Uh, disappearing quite fastly and, and quite rightly. Yeah, yeah. What about in Mexico, Chichen Itza? It's a beautiful site. Um, it is definitely one of, of, of my favorite sites. And the late uh, Dr. Linda Sheely and, and her co-authors um, in, in a number of books, Code of the Kings is, is, is one of them, have really brought this 
uh, in my opinion, too light. They show how the entire complex of Chichen Itza is, is really a three-dimensional rendering uh, of the creation mythology. And when you go one step beyond that, um, you can also see how Chichen Itza features into the entire 2012 phenomena, how it is linked with the, the times when the gods return and how um, the, the locals watch out for these returns through um, astro- astronomical observatories like you know, the Caracol and, and all of these things. But, but Chichen Itza really is, is magnificent. And um, you know, it is one of my uh, definitely top 10 locations to, to be uh, in the world. And um, as December 21st, 2012 approaches, um, and as the Mayan civilization becomes more and more prominent, it, it's very good to see that Chichen Itza becomes more um, famous. You know, fortune has it that it is located within easy traveling distance from Cancun, um, which attracts an awful lot of, of tourists who go there for sunbathing, specifically uh, United States citizens who want to break up uh, specifically northern uh, U.S. citizens who want to break up the cold winter by by a week or so in Cancun enjoying the sunbathing. And uh, as I said, Chichen Itza is within easy traveling distance, so it gets tourism uh, almost naturally as a result. But definitely it, it is worth to go there uh, on its own because it, it's, it's a beautiful site. Now, are they continuing to find more structures around that, or is it pretty much what you see is what's there? I know. I mean, you know, excavations are, are ongoing in, in, on so many Mexican sites, and only a few weeks ago did they discover um, burials underneath uh, another pyramid complex of Teotihuacan, just outside of Mexico City, of jade masks, which are somehow linked with the foundation. Um, cave systems are, are being found in a number of, of these sites, and excavations continue the the, the complex, you know, continues to be more and more excavated. And on a number of occasions, uh, only a few pyramids have really been explored and excavated. An awful lot of, of, of sites just outside of what I would say, uh, Ring A, which is visited by tourism, uh, still needs to, to be further explored. So, um, as, as archaeologists continue to, to dig around and in these sites, more and more is going to come out. And, you know, the fact that, oh, more than a century, if not a century and a half after Teotihuacan was begun to be excavated, the fact that we're still discovering things shows um, how far we still have to go in in really understanding some of these sites. Mm. Do you feel we've only scratched the surface of all the things that we can find? Um, Yes, uh, definitely. And and to a large extent, we are responsible for this ourselves. We have dug around in an awful lot of places, like places like Italy, for example. Um, but of of all the digs which have been found, or have, which have been done in Italy, eighty um, percent of these digs were never properly written up by archaeologists. Um, so, really, what we know about things like the ancient Rome, uh, the Etruscan civilization, which was at the beginning of of ancient Rome, twenty um, percent of that was was written down. And, and some of these sites, obviously, you know, ancient Rome sits underneath modern Rome. You, you just can't dig anywhere. Uh, you, you, and all of these constellations basically mean that we know very little about our past. Mm, yeah. uh, a progressive writer of the 1950s, uh, Emanuel Grzegowski, um, always said that, you know, we were a species in amnesia that we'd forgotten 
uh, about our, our ancestors. And to a large extent, we have destroyed so much ourselves when we, you know, the book burnings typify mankind. We burned the Library of Alexandria. We burned the books, uh, the Spanish conquistadores burned the books of, of the Mayans. Um, some Chinese emperors decided to, to start from scratch in, in 200, in the second, third century AD. Uh, ordered that all books which predated him were to be burned as well, and and so you know we help ourselves into thinking that we are the first and that we're the sum uh, of of everything, but but we are not, um, and, and you know we are we are great at what we do, um, but we are definitely, in my opinion, not the first, and in a number of respects, we we're not the best. Um, we just do things which. Um, you know, are are great, uh, but maybe it could be done better. And I think uh, some of the things could be done better if if we actually look to some of these ancient civilizations and see how they did it, and not fall in the same pitfall. Some of these great civilizations, like Easter Island, um, went under because they exhausted all of their supplies um, in, in their cave woods um, without finding an alternative. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the the pyramid building era of, of Egypt came to an end because some of the ingredients required for the pyramid construction uh, came to an end as well. And I quite often feel that as a species right now, we are using oil uh, to to an extent that we don't seem to have an alternative if oil ever were to run out. Um, And and so on on simple things like that, um, I think ancient civilizations have a lesson to learn uh, to teach us. And I also think... Um, which is a point that I, I came across earlier, is that we think we know the laws of physics, but I'm pretty sure that our ancestors had a, a more deep and, and thorough understanding of the laws of physics and that uh, we might do well in trying to uncover that because uh, that way we will uh, learn more and, and, and maybe even excel better at the things we're doing. Yeah, and you mentioned lost knowledge. Um, take, for example, uh, Florida's uh, The Coral Castle, Yes, I mean, I, 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 I briefly touched upon it earlier, um, and um, I, I definitely mentioned it in the book as, as an example of, of somebody who lived relatively recently and clearly had an understanding of, uh, you know, the laws of physics, which uh, very few other people in our times seems to have right. to after that. He, he somehow, <laughs> somehow he moved those blocks. I mean, there's no question about that. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. Well, I, I, I know we've got to finish up here, but I'd like to touch on one more subject um, that I know you mentioned in the book is about the crystal skulls. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the crystal skulls? Well, crystal skulls are you know, a fascination of mine. I have had the privilege of, of being around them, some of them at least, uh, including Mitchell Hedges, for which I organized the first public display in, in uh, 2008. And um, I, I've also had a very deep uh, affection and have had some exposure to to Max, and um, I've helped promote the, the, the existence of, of a few others like uh, Compassion, which is another skull which has a detachable jaw like uh, the Mitchell Hedges one. So in each case, um, when we put the Mitchell Hedges skull on display, we also used some of the tools and techniques of, of Harry Oldfield, who really is a genius. And basically... Um, Harry's area of expertise is this. We all know cameras, and we all know light. But light is far more than just uh, what we see with the human eye. And so he has developed technology which captures these other aspects of light and renders them through 
basically visualization tools, uh, largely computer programs, which rendered these visible to our eyes. And so um, he has done this on a number of occasions. He, you know, he has he has he basically demonstrated this, and um, he was invited by me. Um, as well as Duncan Rhodes, the editor of Nexus, to, to work with the Mitchell Hedge Skull. And on a number of occasions, you know, you could really see uh, anomalous events happening. During a, a, a meditation session in, in Australia, uh, he could see how basically a force of, of, of light came, came out of the Mitchell Hedge Skull and uh, went around the room. And in some people, it went through them, and in others, it, it kind of like jumped over their head and and back then, and, and Harry was wondering why there was this difference. And he soon found out that some of the people where it went through, they were meditating, and the other ones were just you know, there as part of the conference and not really interested in the meditation aspect of it. Uh, when we had the skull on public display, um, we could see this, this very thin strip of light emanating from the top of the skull, and sometimes it just stopped uh, like two inches above the skull, but sometimes... Uh, it, it really went off, off screen as if like you know, it was an uplink or a downlink or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then you could see certain parts of the skull become um, warmer and, and, and kind of you know, heat up and, and, and cool down in, in very interesting circumstances which had nothing to do with the climatic conditions of, of the room we were in. So you know, that's, that's just one aspect. Obviously, uh, the way they were found, the way they were made, have always been uh, part of, of, of a large debate. But in my opinion, there you know, things like the Mitchell Hedges One Max are clear um, communication devices, these you know, kind of, you know, methods of, of contacting non-human intelligences. And there's a very interesting episode which happened roughly a year ago when uh, I was spending time with Max in, in New Mexico. And um, we were there staying with, with, the, with the person who was putting uh, a number of private sessions on for Max. And so during the day, we hung around the house, spoke to uh, Max's keeper, uh, Joanne Parks. And people came um, through the door. We're going to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes with, with Max. And then you know, came in and hung around while the next person went in. And this went on throughout the day. And all of these people were pretty much unaware of each other and specifically unaware as to whether or not or what Max might have communicated with them. And in each instance, everybody who came out came with a very specific message of what Max had been saying. And this isn't, you know, along the lines of, oh, take care of the world or you should, you should worship your mum or you should take care of your wife. Uh, it wasn't anything as wide as that. These were very specific um, things to do with the situation of, 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 of the world at that moment in time. Um, and, and we're also of a nature which, you know, you couldn't just guess at. Um, and, and so it was very interesting to, to see that over the course of um, that day. And it is very much in line with, with what you know, everybody else has been reporting about crystal skulls. So, you know, obviously within the crystal skulls there are there are newer ones, but, but definitely things like the Mitchell Hedges one and Max... Um, are, are definitely something which I think an awful lot of people need to experience. And in the case of Max, uh, Joanne Parks goes out of her way to make Max available to everybody who wants to see him uh, and, and have contact with him. So, um, you know, if you, you, she, she largely confines her travels these days to America, uh, but she, she pretty much travels around America at least once a year. So, you know, 
find out whether Max the Crystal Skull is coming to a site near you. And we definitely say that spending 15 minutes in his presence is, is something which you will remember for the rest of your life. Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, now, now, Philip, there's so many other things we could go on, and I know it's, <laughs> I know I've held you on for a long time here. Uh, you know, the Dropa stones we could talk about, the Unaguni and the Nazca lines, the Karnak stones, the the Saxa uh, Wayman, uh, and I know I said that wrong, probably, but <laughs> but anyways, there's so many different things. Um, your book, people should definitely check that out because that'll get a, a little more detail, I'm sure, than what we've seen on Ancient Aliens and and in our talk. Uh, but I'd like to finish up with two final questions for you. Mm-hmm. And it takes us away from all your work and all your investigations and everything. And it's more of a personal thing. When you are not looking into all this stuff um, and you turn around and sit down and relax and watch TV, what are your favorite TV shows, either in the past or now? What what, what do you watch? Well, we have, um, Kathleen, um, my wife and I, we have uh, children who are uh, in the music industry. So we, we kind of tend to watch things like you know, shows like The Voice or uh, American Idol or The X Factor um, simply because they, they are part of part of that. Um, I personally love to, to sit down and, and watch a good movie. But, you know, we watch regular TV, yeah. and um, it is definitely a great source um, of, of entertainment and um, there are definitely very good shows out there, and, and to, to, to some dismay, I think, is the fact that some of these shows, like the event, which clearly you know um, speak to me more than, than some of the other shows because of the, the content. And, thing, and shows like Fast Forward, um, they are great premises, but I also see them sometimes mistreated by, uh, by, by the networks. Like when, when you launch a show at, at 9 o'clock and, and then you go on hiatus for five or six months and then you put it back on at, at midnight, for sure it's not going to have the ratings you would expect right. it to have. Um, so, and I love you know, that show. Flash Forward was great. <laughs> yeah, and and so, you know, an awful lot of new shows are being aired and it, it's great to see them, but I also see uh, networks kind of not really caring too much about some of the shows. It's, it's like, oh, let's launch and see what happens, right. rather than that. And, and you know, it, it, it's I think it's not fair on the creators, and it's also not, I think, the best way of, of, of going through some of these things. The biggest successes on television in the past were always because they were nurtured, right. and I, I don't really see any nurturing going on. Yeah, yeah. What about movies? What are your favorite all-time movies? Well, some of the movies which I can watch endlessly are things like Meet Joe Black, which is, you know, great. Um, I love um, The Fountain, which is, is definitely something which I think needs, needs a few times of, of watching. But obviously the classics like Star Wars, yeah. um, The Matrix are our great favorites. Indiana Jones <laughs> doesn't have to be set. Um but, you know, any movie um, which is made um, and which touches upon certain things really will stir me. Justin Burrow uh, is another favorite, and, and, and a recent one in time uh, is definitely one which I, I, I greatly enjoyed. But, you know, whether it's the social network or things like that, mm-hmm. um, I, I love movies, and I, and I actually, because I travel so much, it is quite often hard to right. to to follow series. Um, some of the, the series which began... Uh, in in the U.S. Uh, or are about to begin in the U.S. Um, 
basically out quite often see one or two episodes, and then I know that I will only see it once again when it comes out on, on DVD. Uh, things like Heroes, I've only ever seen on, on DVD. I've never watched a single episode of it uh, live because I was just traveling so much. Um, but, but movies, you know, offer that, that possibility because uh, you only have to catch the beginning and the end, and it's two hours. Um, and, and so they, they uh, what I would say, offer a more immediate um, possibility of, of, of watching things rather than, than series, which I either end up missing um, half half a year of, of, of shows of, or have to catch up on DVD. Yeah. Now, what about uh, if people wanted to find out more information, uh, do you have a website? I have a website, which is philipcoppens.com, P-H-I-L-I-P-C-O-P-E-N-S.com. If you type my name uh, like that into Facebook and uh, Twitter, you will also come to me. Um, or if you want to type it directly, it's twitter.com uh, forward slash philipcoppens. And then for Facebook, we had to do it slightly differently. It's facebook.com forward slash philip. Um, and on, on both of those social networks, you will be able to, to pretty much see me appear daily. And on my website, you can see what I have written. Uh, and every two or three weeks or so, uh, there will be a new article appearing on my site discussing some of the things which I have been doing in the past few uh, months myself. Quite often articles linked with my, my travels and, and part of the research before some of that research comes, becomes a book. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put a link so people can just uh, click on it and go and get your book on our website. So make it easy for them to find your book. And it's called The Ancient Alien Question. And uh, I won't say the whole thing because it's <laughs> it's a long title. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, that book is available ev- anywhere where books are being sold, but also on, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble's website. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Philip, I, I appreciate you doing this because it's been so fascinating and like I say there's so many things we could ask you but uh, time will just not allow that but uh, I do uh, uh, want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us it's been my pleasure I want to thank Philip Coppins so much for taking the time to talk to us. Philip has uh, got a book out, like I said. It's called The Ancient Alien Question. I've had a chance to read it. It's a fascinating book if you are interested in this type of thing. There's just so much information in this book. Be sure to check it out. It's uh, called The Ancient Alien Question. We have a link right on our website where you can click and you can get it. And uh, it's a great book, so check it out. And uh, just fascinating stuff he was talking about. Uh, Like I said earlier, I did have a chance to go to Mexico during my vacation, and I went to Chichen Itza and saw the pyramids, and uh, the, it's just amazing. If you ever get a chance, go to it, because it's it, it's just fascinating. And uh, there's that uh, ball court where they have, and you can whisper from one end to the other, and somebody can, you, you know, you can hear it. It's, it's just, you got to go to see it. It's just unbelievable. So, anyways, I want to thank Philip once again for doing that for us. And uh, like I said, we had so much to talk about, we could have gone on and on and on. But that is it. And... Um, we are going to uh, remind you to check out our website, onscreenandbeyond.com, and you can get all our past interviews with loads of Oscar winners and Grammy winners and nominees and directors and screenwriters and musicians, uh, everything from uh, Bob Barker and Kevin Sorbo, Mike Farrell from MASH, and it, it just it's just an incredible list of people. They have some great stories. I hope you check it out at onscreenandbeyond.com. And that is a wrap for this week's show. And 
And I hope that you'll join us next week when we once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm Brian Zimrak. Take care. Thank you.